Hello from Spearfish, South Dakota. It's the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. This is the podcast version of our webcast, so some of the slides we might reference will be missing. But you can find the whole episode on our YouTube channel. This is Blue Team Mappalooza with Jordan Drysdale, Kent Eichler, and John Strand. Enjoy. Welcome. So uh, oh, I'm Kent, K. Roxy. I am Jordan. Really quick, this is the only slide about us. It's admin backgrounds and a bunch of different industries, blah, 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 blah. For BAHS, we're now doing pen testing, so it's super awesome. We kind of like go back and forth. And our take on Blue Team is, is also a lot of Red Team mixed in with it. So the idea is that you approach Blue Team and defense from attack perspective. So let's and, jump right on in. Well, I, I have to add oh, something quickly. Oh, who showed up. <laughs> this, this, this slide is, oh, John, John came in at the perfect slide. Okay, yeah, so that's, uh, John, this slide is about knowing your acceptable risk and do not practice paralyzing paranoia and sea levels are friend. And assuming John, compromise in all scenarios. Like John came in at the perfect time for that. So I love that you're basically like sea levels are a friend. We like sea levels. By the way, I was going to try to do an introduction for this thing today and you guys already hit it off. I'm just going to sit in and ask questions. If that's all right, uh, as people come in and they they ask questions, I was going to ask the questions of both of you. Sound like a plan? Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to shut up and let you guys here. get to work. Excellent. Kent, next slide, please, sir. Yeah, let's move. Absolutely. Arbitrary overview slide. This happens every talk, right? It does. We got to go include, include the word overview. arbitrary? Arbitrary and overview and slide and the slide deck. Uh, so it's a drinking game, maybe. If you count the hackernames that we end up using, we might throw some out there. We're not really sure. I don't think there's any listed in here too many times, but if we say them in passing, time to take a uh, shot of water or coffee. Uh, we're going to talk about Blue Team Hackery, Blue Team Defensory, and then the executive summary and why that's important. So let's get right on and go Hackery. Um, Wait, Hackery? Hackery. thought it was Defensory. Blue teamery. But we, but you, to do blue team, you got to do red team. A little bit of red team. You got to hack blue team. Making up new words. <laughs> <sighs> spent a lot. I, I guess I spent about 20 minutes with Jeff Mann after our talk. It was interesting. He had some very uh, uh, good feedback, I'd say. Right. The difference between a pen test and a vulnerability assessment. Right. Do we know what that is? Can we sort of sort that out here really quick? Uh, so yeah. pen test, break in any way you can within the rules that you're allowed to do that. And then the vulnerability assessment is all of the ways that you could have broken in or possibly did break in. But more specifically, it's defining those all out and building a plan to move forward and close those doors. Whereas the pen test is actually breaking down those doors, going through them and pillaging. So that's the big key there. It really depends on what you're allowed to do in your environment and what your rules are of engagement. So be aware of that. Is recon a part of pen testing or vuln assessment? Well, more pen testing, I think. Well, I think the HIS sort of sorts everything together. Right. Don't we vuln assess? Well, a lot of what we do, a lot of what BHIS does is actually driven by the customers, right? And let's be honest, the reason why we do that so often is because many of our customers don't understand the difference between vulnerability assessment, pen test, and, and all these different types of testing that can be done, all the way up to what we call sometimes black taming. And one of the most annoying things you can do when you're talking with a customer is to basically say, uh, well, you know, technically what you're defining is actually a vulnerability assessment. And I'm so much smarter <laughs> than you are. 
So really, we try to meet our customers where they're at. So yeah, we have vulnerability assessments that involve recon. We have vulnerability assessments that actually involves like phishing assessments, not for exploitation, but for metrics. So it's really an incredibly fluid dynamic uh, definition. I know there's some companies that absolutely hate that as well. We got recon all the things. As part of a good blue teamer, you better understand what's going on in the world, yeah. right? You have you to run an organization. These are things you should do to yourself. Yeah, the idea here is that you can't fully be able to defend your network unless you know what's on your network. And the best way to be able to know what's on your network and the vulnerabilities involved there is to do essentially with the first few steps of what a red team would do. They want to go in, they want to find out what's on the network. They want to be able to define what the vulnerabilities are and see where they can pivot through that. So when we talk about blue team and the attacking aspect of it, it's really to define out what that is. Recon your network, figure out what's there, figure out where the vulnerabilities are, and then start making a plan for closing those doors. So these are some of the tools that we use here. Uh, Recon NG, Shodan, Breach Data, uh, Have I Been Pwned is a good place to start there. Have I Been Pwned? Have I Been Pwned does release the references to the email addresses or user logins. They don't typically reference the passwords, but all those hashes are, are readily available out in the world. So URL and typo squatting, it's good to know uh, what organizations might have already registered a domain name that's very similar or close to your own. I've included the uh, the syntax of the application to use there. It's called URL Crazy, does an awesome job. And we are going to follow up with a blog post later on that has all these links and these command syntaxes for you to use as well. Uh, looking up DNS tables, try to do a DNS uh, transfer to see if you can pull down the entire domain name with all the uh, DNS records. This is exceedingly rare these days. It is, yeah. Uh, Default zone tables. Are except for on internal networks, it still is uh, somewhat common with Active Directory. You might have, it's just a checkbox that could allow it to happen. Cache snooping, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Uh, looking up uh, with Pastebin and all the Pastebin type services, there's actually some tools out there, uh, I've linked them there, that allow you to go to one site and search for a keyword, and it will check all of those different sites that commonly have Pastebin type data. Um, someone made a paste and anonymous or not, it'll index there. I do know that if you have a Pastebin account with the API, you can actually set up alerts. So if anyone does create a Pastebin that has specific keyword data, it'll actually send you an email back saying, hey, someone used your domain name in a Pastebin. So that's I think this has happened to us about a hundred times where we monitor ourselves and then we get alerts saying you've been posted on Pastebin and it's really just someone posting their links. Yeah. So we have a blue team, us, where our uh, third-party cohort, Derek, not here with us today, uh, that goes through and checks those links, make sure there's nothing that got disclosed inside of that. And if there was, of course, and we follow up with legal team or whatever we need. Yeah, one last anecdote about this slide. Our, one of our the sturdiest customers we've ever ran into basically had us picked out before we finished even reconnaissance and putting together a plan because we had purchased domains to typo squat that environment, right? And they monitored DNS tables. They saw our typo squat. They figured out it was likely pointed back at us and they used certificate transparency during the engagement to say, I mean, nice try, but fail. So these are things you can do as a system admin, as a network architect to monitor your organization and do a better job. Yeah, take that URL crazy report that tells you if anyone's got a typo squat domain close to yours and run it every hour. And as soon as someone registers that, you're gonna find out about it as soon as it hits the global DNS. So Or pay a mark monitor to do that for you. <laughs> uh, also been verified if you're doing personal recon, LinkedIn. Hunter.io has a really great, huge database of emails where you can give them a domain name and they will give you back all the email addresses they have for that domain. And of course, using certificate transparency. Moving forward, uh, scan and enumerate all the things. Jordan, go ahead. Pen test or vulnerability assessment or both? <laughs> both. Magic, purple team, doesn't really matter. It's part of everything. So we are going to show down your networks. You should show down your networks too. We are going to end map your networks. You should end map your networks too. 
Whether you want to also... pay for a Nessus license or not, it's what, 1700 2000 now, something yeah. like that. We are yeah. going to run Nessus against your environment. John, are you also... talking? Yep, I would. I would also add in for Shodan that you can do net colon as well. So if you don't want to do just a specific IP address, if you know where your external network ranges are, you can actually do go into the Shodan, type in net colon, and then give it the class listener domain routing, like you know 8.8.8.0 slash 24, and it'll give you all the results in that network range, which is helpful too. And then, gentlemen, I've got a question here. The question was, do you recommend OpenVAS as a vulnerability assessment scanner? I'll let you guys take a crack yeah, at that. Yeah, and I would say the answer is no. I have had uh, nothing but nightmares with that. I used to try to run it at an organization I worked for previously as a cost savings measure. The results for us, 1700 bucks a year, you're going to pay $150 a month for a Nessus license that gives you the results that are generally meaningful and point you in the directions of all the things that are yours. But uh, Chad says friends don't let friends use OpenVest. Um, <laughs> exactly. So here's the thing: if you're if you're in an environment right now that you you don't have the visibility because you don't have the budget to get Nessus, OpenVest will be a really great way for you to go to leadership and say, "Hey, I need money because look what OpenVest found. I need money to get Nessus so I can properly do this." It is first stepping stone. If if you have an environment with leadership, it's not giving you budget. It'll be a first way for you to be able to produce a report saying, "Hey, we got a lot of problems. I need the tools necessary to define." and to be able to help remediate them. So it can be used as an open source way to move forward. Yeah, just give it a week to run. Yeah, exactly. Give it a week to run. Yep. <laughs> so a couple other ones on there, you know, we could have well had OpenVast in there. It just depends on your environment. Um, Eyewitness is a really great tool. You can take website, a list of websites and we'll generate a screenshot of them. The idea being is if you have a thousand websites to, to check, you can just check a report that it generates, and you can find all the different type of login interfaces that might be there, the websites that are produced. Uh, Nextpose is a- uh, What, $25,000 to get going? For Eyewitness? For Nextpose. Oh, for Nextpose? Yeah, Nextpose is, is a little pricey, but it also does vulnerability management, so the idea is that it will scan and keep track and allow you to uh, assign a vulnerability resolution to a specific person and then follow up and track that. It's a pretty big platform, obviously it's it's, the prices let's differentiate here real quick between qualis and nikto I, I like to consider nikto a web server scanner identified things going on in a web server i'd like to think of qualis as a web vulnerability scanner there's a very significant difference in the results you get there while nikto tries a whole bunch of standard things against your web services it's not really what i consider to be a vulnerability assessment tool on web ssl nmap has a cipher enumeration tools as you can see in this script gather some stuff but these days, I'm using test SSL.sh. There's a GitHub repo, pull it, run that against your identified website. I personally don't like report findings uh, for SSL. I mean, they're, they're, the whole premise is that you have a man in the middle, but realistically, yeah, I know John's going to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> but I know it's important. And You're wrong. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, I mean, we get into this argument all the time as far as vulnerability assessment reports. Should there Should we even report things like SSL? I think that they should be informational. They should be in the report, but for the love of all that's holy, don't try to make them higher vulnerabilities than they sh than they should be. They shouldn't be much higher than informational. But this brings up, John is saying that why would we report SSL as anything other than informational? Now, if we look at the Chinese telecom BGP hijack from last week, right? Shows up in the news. What have they been doing? Spending two, two and a half years theoretically redirecting traffic around the globe, dropping it through their data centers. This is where SSL man in the middle comes into effect, right? If you have logjam, if you have these vulnerabilities that allow 
potentially weak ciphers to wrap your traffic, the Chinese supercompute can absolutely decouple that. And we say supercompute, but some of those ciphers are so weak now that they're actually pretty trivial. I mean, it's encrypted, but it's encrypted well. So it really depends. And that's kind of why it is important to to report them. But again, it's it's one of those things. I don't think that it's a big vector for uh No, we don't do it. Typically. I mean, what are we going to do on an engagement with SSL? You have weak ciphers. Move on. Let's run the data center. <laughs> True. So web service discovery just ran this against a slash 16. I had hoped to have results to demonstrate here, but they are not here for demo. But basically, we're saying go wrap up five interesting web ports, which you should probably do two on your network, assign an intern to go look at every single one of them, make sure there's not a login page uh, for your port 80s, wrap those into port 443, enable ciphers. If you've got proxies sitting on your network, figure out why investigate all of them there's a really great uh, tool with the nmap portion uh it's linked back a couple slides it was listed in the syntax that will take your N, uh, nmap output and build you a nice html report that's easy to read you can print it out or whatever you need to do much easier to read than the plain text nmap uh, output so that's uh, very useful as well and the next slide i'm going to actually show you how to utilize eyewitness and burp suite to pre-populate your burp suite and immediately find things that nesses might not be able to find because they're very passive the idea here is that you want to investigate these so you can find the compromised system on your network because that compromised system is going to find all the weak links in your network and it's going to use them to the attacker's privilege you know it's going to be increase the potential to be able to get through your network the idea here is a blue team you need to be a pen tester i mean that's kind of the whole idea here and the idea is to know your tech network topology really quick how to populate burp with nessus um, i like doing this just because i run almost all my engagements through burp passively just so i can pre-populate things find possible uh, items that might come up in burp so the idea is you take your Nessus output file and you start up burp, you add the targets to the scope and burp, and then turn off intercept and burp, and then you run this eyewitness command that proxies your eyewitness through burp, and it will immediately populate burp for you. So it's pretty awesome. Does this require Selenium? It re well, eyewitness requires either Selenium or the Firefox drivers, but they're or they're okay, there. yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so awesome. The idea here is just one. you'd be able to take two st uh, stones with one bird. Wait, two birds, one stone. No. Too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, other service discovery. Oh, absolutely. Anywhere you find port 23 on your network, this is bad. This means some old IoT device or some who knows what. Network switch, somebody forgot in a closet, upgrade those, enable SSH. Your port 80s, you shouldn't have port 80 on your network. There was a comment in a slide a couple back where we say a, a compromised system on your network is going to find these weak logins and then compromise them. So these plain text services need to be updated to no longer clear text. We have a question from John. So yeah, we, I was just talking with a customer here in Boston. They were trying to explain to me that they required Telnet to be running on every single one of their routers because their routers didn't support it, which was a lie. So the vast majority of the time, whenever someone says they have to have Telnet running because they don't know how to shut it off, it means they just don't know how to shut it off. So yeah, regardless, let's roll on one more slide here. Yeah. I like cheat sheets, so we can do a whole lot of things with Nmap, right? As a blue teamer, you have to know the services on your network. Learning Nmap, learning networking, how these things tie together, dash capital F, right? Very important. Fast top 100 ports from Nmap's perspective on your network. Put it against all your nets. Why not, right? Dash P dash, identify every single socket listening on TCP. Dash big A, operating system and service. It's going to do its best. It doesn't always work. 
SV, service version, SP, ping. These are, these are important things to learn, but understanding networking is even more important, right? Taking that step back and saying, what is a VLAN? What is, uh, how do devices communicate on my network? How do we route between them? How do we ACL? Things of that nature. So it's hard to be a systems administrator if you don't understand networking. It's hard to be a systems administrator if you haven't deployed group policy. It's really hard to be a system administrator in a network that doesn't baseline things, right? We don't have standard images we deploy. We don't have standard networking stuff at our customers or our employees' homes. We don't know what Cisco Smart Install is, but it's on by default on all our gear. So learning networking, right? OSI layer three. Source and destination IP conversations, right? Extending layer four, right? We're doing protocol-based ACLs now. We're saying nothing except 80 or 443 into our DMZ, except we don't 80. So all of that gave us the entire network and what it looks like, right? So what's the next step? Exploiting, testing it out. Find out where you're going. Find out what you can do. Pen test or vulnerability assessment? Ha, this is pen test. <laughs> Theoretically, yeah. Yeah, it depends. If you're going to pivot through here and, and do what you can, then yes. If you're just looking to validate a vulnerability, maybe not so much unless it's like a DDoS and vulnerability and you're going to blue screen a bunch of servers. That's so, a very good thing. I saw this from one of Benny Shaw's uh, tweets, and this is an awesome search repo. So I have found a lot of fun stuff on here now. So check us out if you haven't seen this. This is a very, very cool tool. But again, you're going to need to, as a blue teamer, begin that process of understanding networking, understanding where services are on your network baselining those services, why they're there, and then stepping up, running vulnerability scans or Nmap, right? Nmap is almost a Swiss army knife of reviewing a network. It's got a dash dash vuln or a dash dash script vuln, right? Let's let's have Nmap identify some simple things for us. All right, so the idea is uh, you've checked exploits now to, to kind of roll back and look at your, your password hygiene and what that looks like. Of course, this could look at the other side of things and check password policies and that type of stuff, but really it's trying to validate passwords that are typically used in your environment. So looking at password spraying with Office 365, WA, Azure, et cetera, obviously using fall 2018 bang for your password is the best <laughs> password. Password spray your network with Bose domain password spray and fall 2018 bang. If you find people, you have problems. This is a super, super simple PowerShell script to download and run. Should take you no more than 10 minutes. Do it right now. The uh, eyewitness report will give you a screenshot of all those web pages that are in your environment. Take a look at that. Any one of them that have logins, uh, login portals on them, you want to password spray those. Uh, obviously, do it reasonably. Don't lock all, out all the accounts, but you want to know if whether or not like default creds were used or if the passwords like fall 2018 or bang is used, anything like that. So you can define out where those are and what pivot points you have in your network because it's all a vulnerability. Jamie brought up an interesting point. She said, run these with permission. But I remember our previous gig where you run the network, you monitor the watchman, so to speak. Like, who watches the watchman? More watchmen. <laughs> and I don't mean to use misogynistic language there. Who watches the watch persons, right? Like, we would just do whatever we wanted, theoretically saying, I'm going to password spray. Nobody's going to find it. I'm going to end map. Nobody's going to see it. It's not going to get to executives unless something drops or dumps or breaks something. But regardless. Yes, yeah, so um, a lot of tools there. And MFAs, there's one, there's one more thing that's really interesting here. MFAs help in this regard. We can still identify passwords, but we can't log into accounts if MFA isn't enabled. If I do a burp suite spray, look at either size of response or timing of response, it's very, very probable that we can pick out valid account password combinations, but still not get in because of MFA. So definitely MFA all the things. 
couple comments out there for TLS 1.3. It's going to be interesting. That was just how, a few days ago. Yeah. It's going to be interesting how that plays out with things. And also, yeah, password reuse, I think. Yeah, which is yeah. a whole other situation. So different tools there you can use, the spray kit, mail sniper, domain password spray, and then my favorite is Burp Suite because... Oh, it's gooey, I guess. <laughs> Windows, right? So the idea here is after you've done all that, you really want to go back and investigate the detailed things. And one of those tools you can use is from Sys Internals, now Windows, using Sysmon, AD Explorer, etc. Sysmon is fun. I kind of make the analogy that it's like watching the inside of your car's engine while traveling 80 miles an hour down the highway. It's scary. You get to see all the things work, but that may or may not be a good thing and definitely decreases your productivity. This is a brilliant chunk of getting started though, right? Deploying Sysmon on your network using PowerShell, getting it on your endpoint, seeing what's going on, it's terrifying. But beginning that process of, holy crap, here's a flood of stuff. I have an intern now. We're gonna start to parse that down. We have a question from John. I would also add that that is key because it's actually cleaning up the cruft. It's basically in many networks, they just keep throwing crap in their closets and it builds up year after year after year. And the first time you start doing Sysmon, the first time you run Bro, the first time you start doing inventory and software management, which are the first two things in the critical controls, it's a complete nightmare because you haven't been keeping up on those things and you desperately need to start doing that. And these tools give you the visibility to actually see that. Moving forward, so we've talked about how to attack, right? Yeah, we're attacking our own networks over and over and over repeatedly, baselining so, things, breaking things, proving things are flawed. You've generated a list or a report of things that you've accomplished and it, it might be long, it might be short, but the idea here is now, Let's take the other side of blue teaming. Now let's, let's look at the defense, right? We know we can break things. We know we can gain. We know we can pivot. What can we do that can really- That's another new word. That? Can defensory? you define that, please? Defensory? Well, the well, art of defense? If there's hackery, there's got to be defensory. <laughs> so we're not selling a security solution. We are frustrating our coworkers, and which were the attackers. I am not a salesperson, or am I? Uh, <laughs> if you need some assistance with this, contact consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com. They can help with the red team, the blue team, the purple team. Yep. The, uh, yeah, all that. All so those good. things. The toilet paper slide. So, John, These I'll These questions actually, were already floating. Yeah. Um, John, I'm letting you take <laughs> this one, because this is, this is your mantra right here. All right. So, whenever we're looking at a lot of security technologies, organizations can get caught up in the back swirl of trying to find the best back AD, swirl. the best firewall. <laughs> <laughs> They, they basically try to get caught up on what is the single best product, the best in breed, the best in class. But when we're looking at firewalls, IDS, IPS, we're looking at endpoint security products, the vast majority of them, especially traditional blacklisting, is pretty much like toilet paper. And what that means is it's a commodity. You don't honestly, it doesn't really matter all that much, and the vast majority of them do their job about as well as others. And then you get into matters of preference as far as like if it's going to be quilted or if it's going to be soft or how many sheets per roll, it's completely up to you. But at the end of the day, it's still toilet paper. So don't get too hung up on what the actual tool is for a lot of these different uh, capabilities like IDS, IPS, firewall, endpoint security. Instead, ask yourself, does it give you the visibility that you need to see what's going on in your environment, number one? And number two, is your team comfortable with using the product? And that's basically a subjective preference at that point. And I'm handing it back to you guys. Awesome. There, someone just mentioned inventory management and they said, don't you just use Excel? Next slide. Uh, inventory management, you use Excel? We're going to hate it together. Okay, so the idea here is that to properly blue team, again, you need to know what's on your network. There are some solutions out there that help you with this, but ultimately you really need to be able to add in additional information that you got from trying to attack. So I use Excel for 
the weirdest things. When I need to make a script and repeat it over a thousand times with different variables, I use Excel because I can make it work and it's super fast. That said, it's it's maybe not the best tool. There's other tools out there that will help you with this as well. SolarWinds IP Address Manager will say you've got a block of IPs and you can make notes about each host and what they do. There's some other ones out there that are more network monitoring based like Nagios and Singa, Zabbix and uh, Xenos Core. There's kind of a, a one that I looked into a little bit called Open Audit or Open Audit. Um, not sure about that, but it's worth looking into if you're looking for something open source. And then interestingly, a lot of hardware-based solutions like Biquity and FortiGate, they will produce you a list of devices on your network, let you comment on them, let you manage inventory that way as well. Yeah, I have some familiarity with the FortiGate device detection. Basically sits on the edge of your network and does its best to identify the devices going in and out of your network. And this is exactly what Bill has written with his script passer.py. This is basically something that sits on your network, identifies strings using Scapy and Python and chops things to bits and pieces, but does its best to put together a list of the devices flowing in and out of your network, theoretically, not in. And John, real quick, uh, we did talk about AI Hunter a little bit before before the presentation, but if you want to link in here kind of how that works with inventory management and how it assists with that. Yeah. So not so much AI Hunter, we'll talk about the free tool, Rita. Rita actually has user agent strings analysis where you can basically pull down all the user agent strings and it'll help you do an inventory of what devices, what user agent strings are currently being used in your environment. So you wanna do a long tail analysis, find the least used user agent strings in your environment. Those are usually your IoT devices, your weird software packages and start analyzing those and working your way back up. So next one here, now you've got a list of what's on your network and you really need to be able to control that as well. And the whole idea here is to disrupt or eliminate. You're working on the list. Yes, working on the list, yes. And the idea by doing this is disrupt and eliminate the shadow IT. So kind of get away from someone saying, uh, the IT department won't let me have wireless in my office or they're not giving me the, the PSK or adding me to the radius. So I'm just gonna go ahead and buy this Linksys router and plug it into the port next to my office and boom, I got Wi-Fi. I don't need anyone to tell me I can or can't do it. The idea is to have controls that prevent that. Now, some of those controls are going to be port-based security on switches, but some of them are also having policies and procedures on how that works. Hardware needs to be approved by someone, right? and having document control over that. So that type of thing is important. Um, they're really business aspects of things, but you need to have those controls in place so that when someone does install that switch or that uh, access point, you can go in there and unplug it and tell them too bad, so sad, here it is, take it home. But inventory is so hard. And, and like John said earlier, this is a fundamental concept in the critical controls. If you can't control your hardware and you can't control your software, you can't control your network. So theoretically, right, Fletch uses this mitigating controls thing. He is so strict about it. When he questions customers for our critical controls reviews, he asks the question, do you know when someone installs something on their computer that's not approved? Oh, good, that's, that's awesome. You run some endpoint thing that reports back to you and it's gone. Well, what is your mitigating control for that unapproved software, right? This is how strict the control is actually written, but getting there, whole other ball game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mentioned is... AWS there oh, for a yeah, reason, yeah. right? <laughs> security in the cloud, blah, shared responsibility, but they will tell you every single system with a couple clicks that you have in their space. I mean, that's nice for inventory and documentation. Helpful, yes. So alerting detecting capabilities. Um, the idea here is this is all well and great, but you also want central repository for logs. I think we know how John might feel about SIM, so I might just pass this one off to him and he can throw it in there. Well, <laughs> So I think whenever you're looking at SIM, if we're going to look at doing this correctly, JP Cert has some, has some outstanding tools. So let me share this first one. This is JP Cert Tool Analysis Result Sheet. 
And that basically breaks down a lot of the different types of attack tools and also built-in utilities that an adversary might use like PS exec. And then the other tool that they have is JP certs logon tracer, and that'll do user behavioral and entity analytics, parsing your, your event logs for your domain controller. So those would be the two things I would say, like we can actually start getting value out of our SIM if we're actually looking for the right things instead of looking at absolutely everything and seeing nothing. So passing it back over to you. I love this last quote. But even Beacon still tells, yeah, they do. Absolutely. Right, John talks about this in AI Hunt. It's even easier to pick them out if they have sleep cycle enabled, right? You're going to sleep for some period of time and then you're going to blip. We are going to see that. That is so unlike human operation on a network or so unlike Microsoft's update cycles or so unlike these other very predictable things humans do that beacons do not. So beacon analysis. So this is a big one. This is the biggest possibly one. To, I can't tell you how many tests we do where we get in there and we're like, all right, we're, we're going to help you, you know, get your network set up well, and we're going to find the things for you. And then we find critical vulnerabilities all over the place. And it takes us about 10 minutes to get DA. Yeah. Make sure everything is, is updated after you've got that network inventory done. So you know, what's out there, you know, what services are running on what ports go through, make sure those services are up to date. Every port that has a service on it, make sure it's updated every workstation make sure it's got the appropriate security patches all of them don't leave any of them unpatched obviously you might want to have a change control process on that you don't want to necessarily go and update everything without testing it first but don't let them run for six months without updating laptops are really hard too right people take them home they close the lid at night it misses that patch cycle they show up at the office in the morning and they load it and it gets all slow and crappy you don't know what's going on and then it reboots and people freak there are a couple of uh, things hard. there too. Someone mentioned mobile device management a little bit ago. We're not going to talk about it here today, but all the big carriers now have mobile device management. I know Verizon even has one, but Microsoft and G Suites, they both have a portion of their platform that is for mobile device management. There's other ones out there too, but some of those interfaces also allow you to do mobile device management on laptops, the mobile devices that don't hit your network all the time, but they do sometimes connect to a network. All right, so let's talk about group policies. What is preventing your users from having a password called Fall 2018 Bing? Because it's a bad password. But it covers all four of the major categories of password, does. right? And that's Which is bad. bad. Well, it's great. If your password policy is eight characters, we are guessing that one first this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea here is that you can control things in Active Directory and you can prevent this. You can have passwords, uh, limitations on password policies that are, you know, make a password that's 30 characters long. Do I suggest that? No. But what's the current one? Is it 15? I think it is 15. That enforces storage of the correct type of hash that's harder to crack. Absolutely. So there's some other things that we're going to talk about as well. LLM and R, Kerberos and SPNs, and password policies, well, storage again. And screen locks and also SMB. So let's jump right into it. Yes, John. So I was going to say more accurately, it forces it not to store the vulnerable password hash yeah, for, for LAN. Good job, John. Because everyone <laughs> everyone started typing. They're like, ah, oh crap, John just said it. Okay. So we'll talk about disabling LMNR. We had a recent blog post about this. And we discussed it in a couple of webcasts as well, kind of going back through there and saying this is how you shut it off. You can do it with a group policy. So you can shut it off across your environment with group policy. Again, Dorn, do you want to give the, I guess, the technical bits here about why this is important? Do we want to talk about why disabling LLMNR is important or do we want to talk about LLMNR? I don't think everyone has an understanding even at a base fundamental level what LLMNR is or does. So link layer multicast name resolution, 225, 224-00252, right? This hits all the MAC addresses, all Fs theoretically on your segment. That last slide mentioned Frogger and I got to try this once. And so then on an engagement, right? I've got LLMNR. 
I get some hashes. I run Frogger. I find more VLANs. I jump into those VLANs, create new interfaces. I jump onto those VLANs, find more LLMNR. So LLMNR is basically a, a multicast way of resolving names that don't resolve via your DNS. If your DNS sucks, you're probably going to need LLMNR and NBNS. But there's a problem with it, right? In theory. There's a really big problem with it. <laughs> the problem is if someone says, hey, server one, I need your IP address in certain environments, any workstation can say, hey, I'm server one, connect to me, please. And when you connect to me, please submit your hash for your Windows environment as well. And as soon as that happens, you've now provided that hash to a third party, potentially. The environment we see here in the lower left-hand corner of the picture there is doing just that. We're having a workstation set up and all it's saying is, yes, you're looking for server one or server two or uh, exchange. Yes, I'm all of those things. In fact, I'm the workstations that are next to you. I'm all different host names you could possibly search for. I'm all of them. Submit me your hashes. And all it does is it gives the hashes to the attackers and then we can take them and go crack them. So taking a step back, right? We're talking about baselining again here. If you've got CDP, DTP, if you've got these things that Cisco does by default, smart installs, You've got fundamental layers at OSI 1, physical, OSI 2, networking, OSI 3, right? I can jump into different segments and get different IP addresses. You've got to understand your network. You've got to understand what's going on with the gear on your network and then turn off LLMNR. I like SMB signing on here, right? Because we're now able to take that hash that gets pushed around if we do LLMNR and we can go push it to another system, relay it, and get shell, which is incredible if you don't have SMB signing turned on. So that's important to have. Is that our next slide? Is that our next slide? Yeah, I think maybe it is. Oh, not yet. Come uh, you will notice in the lower right-hand corner, you're beating dead horses at this point. So <laughs> if you ever hear us talk about a defense webcast, you might see these again. They disable NBNS by adapter. So this is going into the actual adapter and shutting off something similar with mm -hmm. NetBIOS. This is a preference instead of a group policy. I, I couldn't really figure out why Windows wanted it that way. But regardless, the next one, go ahead, let's just roll. The next one has a quick little NBNS PowerShell thing. Boom, push this out. Systems admin should have access to PowerShell. Endpoints should not. Or theoretically, the users running on your endpoints should not. SMB signing, so this is where you can enable SMB signing and force machines to get that certificate and validate it. Risk versus risk. Do you want to chug performance down on your network or do you want to not have cryptographic validation on your network? Landman storage. This is a great one. Landman passwords are incredibly, incredibly easy to break because 14 character passwords max, cut them in half and create two hashes and then you can try to crack those hashes independently. So you're actually trying to crack two of seven character passwords. Still on by default on server 2016. Yeah, it's a scary thing. A good way to circumvent this is to create a password more than 14 characters long and Windows won't store your hash that way in Landman. Or turn this group policy on immediately. No one in your environment will notice, have everybody change their passwords. Don't. As the passwords change, then they will no new. longer store that new hash. The old hash would still be stored. Is that correct? Oh, I don't know. I think the old hash is still stored. I think it just stops looking at that, uh, that attribution. John, clarification. There. Is the old landman hash stored after enabling this function and changing your password? Yeah, after you, well, it depends. Do you have, remember previous passwords? The passwords will actually be stored in the, it'll actually be stored in the registry. So it's one of those things where it can stick around for a while, but you're talking some very, very old legacy systems where that would exist. On most environments that you would encounter today, you're not going to see that landman hash because it never was there in the first place. 10-4, thank you. Next slide, sir. Group policy is hard. Well, it doesn't have to be though. LSDOU, obviously we've got LSD cat there hanging out. So the OU structure matters a lot. The OU structure matters and how you deploy group policy. Make sure you understand how to do this. 
If you're not aware of the intricacies of using group policy, go look it up, learn it. It's very possible to do some things in group policy that you didn't intend to do just by having all use links different ways. So some ideas here, some, some best practices. Don't mess too much with default domain policy. And some environments will actually disable it and will rewrite it with only the actual policies that are necessary. And obviously look at the password policies, lockouts, et cetera. The best practice here, use computer versus uh, uh, user policies. Don't create group policies that have both user and computer policies in them together. It really makes it more difficult to manage. This is really a best practice, but you don't have to follow up with the ideas. If you have a user-based policy, create a user GPO. If you have a computer-based policy, create a computer-based GPO. And then disable the filter on the GPO preferences in there so that if you have a user-based policy, disable the computer processing side of it. And it'll help you process GPUs faster, though. If computers running faster these days, maybe it doesn't matter so much. But best practices do matter. Does your organization support training? <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. We do support training. How about ongoing resource and human capital additions to your struggles? Yes. They should. <laughs> so the idea here is you need to do best practices. But if you just say, hey, do best practices, what does that mean? You know, you need to, in your environment, do training. Certifications are important. John, do yes. you have a comment there? All right, I'm losing my mind trying to keep up with the questions. <laughs> <laughs> do certifications matter? Yes and no. Please. So I guess I'll do yeah. my best to get fired by the SANS Institute. I don't think that they matter insofar as the fact that wow. this person has a cert and they're better than anybody else that does not have a cert. I think that that's crap. But whenever you're looking at the industry as a whole and you want to get a job as an individual, you better have some certs because for HR departments actually looking at who they're going to hire, the people with the certs are going to go to the absolute top. So yes, it does matter for the individual, but I think that it's only good enough to get you through the front door to get your resume up to the point where you have that interview. After you get to that interview, the certification doesn't matter. It's all on you and what you actually know. We're going to talk about you've now gone through, you've done the attacking, you've done some ideas for defensory. Defending. Yeah, that was your new word, defensory. Yeah, I'm making all kinds of new words here. That was a good one. The idea now is you need to be able to relate this back to your leadership so that you can, well, really get money. This is a shout out to Jeff Mann. Jordan, you want to discuss that? I don't know. Should we? we? We've talked a lot about pen test versus vulnerability assessment. If you're going to talk to an executive and you're going to come into an environment and you're going to break something and you're going to dump the domain controller and you're going to crack all the passwords and the executives say, oh my gosh, what did you just do to us and why? I didn't expect this. This is terrifying. Don't I do it again. we should yeah. sue you. Is, <laughs> is what you did even legal? I don't know the answer to that. And it, it can be a scary, scary thing. And, and the idea here is that you've done all this work now. You need to be able to relate it back to the customer, to your leadership in a reasonable way that tells them what they gained out of it and why it's important. But then I tell an executive, I just did LLMNR to SMB relay on your network to pop shells and exfiltrate your NTDS.dit and cracked everything and I'm DA and Juan. What? That's all illegal. Don't do that again. In fact, you're fired. No, the idea here is that you don't talk in that language. <laughs> don't do that. That's They're going to walk out of the room or they're going to kick you out of the room. That's not what you want to do. You want to talk in high generalities and levers that they can pull, things that the leadership can do, whether it be policy-based, procedure-based, or money-based. Sometimes it just comes down to money and getting resources in. Sometimes it's hiring an outside firm to do something. Sometimes it's hiring a consultant. Sometimes it's just getting people on board for something. If I told you updating your password policy meant you didn't have to remember complex character strings, yeah. all lowercase is fine if you hit 15 characters. 
you know, and the idea here is to relate this to them, give them strategic options. This is really difficult for some people to do. And when you're in the, the mix and detailed information and you're going through and hacking things and, and building up GPU, GPO policies to then relate that back to the customer and say, hey, this is, you know, the information we're presenting you. Why is it important to be able to put that into strategic terms that they can understand, pull levers? They don't speak the jargon. They don't speak, what do you call it, hack, uh, acronyms? Acronyms, they don't no want acronyms. Don't give them acronyms. Know that every business has an acceptable risk. Accept that the leadership might come back to you and say, we don't care, it's not that big of a deal. They're looking at it from a perspective of the probability times the impact that a vulnerability might have. And it might be within their realm that they say, yeah, we're going to accept that risk. And if that's the case, you know, make sure they understand what the, prob the probability and the impact are of that vulnerability, but sometimes it makes sense to just deal with it. So the next question here is why do you want to present this to the executives? It doesn't necessarily have to be at the executive level. Sometimes you, you might be delivering a report to your supervisor or to your director, manager, IT department, IS, CISO, you know, whatever it might be. The idea here is that C-level is your friend. So whatever report you write, write it so that there is some sort of section in that document that says, this can be taken to the board, to the cabinet, and it can be read. And it, the net result of that should be to well, partially to scare people, but to do it in such a way that gets some resources, right? So the executives that you're going to report to, they can fight for security budgets. If you ask for $10 million, you're probably not going to get it, right? So you're not asking the right questions and the right people. But if you take it to the board and someone in the cabinet says, hey, we've got a big problem. This is what that problem looks like. This is what happens if we don't remediate it. But this problem requires a $10 million fix. They're going to start discussing that and you might get that money. Executives are the ones that can make this happen right? Your supervisor probably can't, but your supervisor can relay the information up in a reasonable way that you help do. You need to give the ammunition over to the leadership. Make sure that they know what to ask for. Make sure they're not asking for something that's unreasonable. Make sure they know why it's important to the business. What is the risk? Why is doing this important at all? And don't ask them to deploy paralyzing paranoia. The slide earlier in the slide deck said something along the lines of, don't do anything that's going to inhibit someone's ability to do their job because that's going to be a non-starter and it will get you kicked out of that room very quickly. This one's you, Jordan. <laughs> Another Jeff Mann quote. Repeat back to me what you think you just heard. Yeah. So here's the whole thing with this, right? We went through and we did a lot of technical stuff and we also did something that's not as technical. And you're now kind of given a choice with this, with the blue team, right? You can either suggest that we do business as we've always done it, right? We just try to keep up with patching better because that's a given. You need to do that. And realistically, if you do a good job with inventory management, you know what's on your network, you're going to do okay. But, you know, you really need to bring this back to leadership and start a conversation about making things better. You know, look at the GPU options you have to make things more secure in your environment. Look at your password policies. You know, if your environment allows it, get the NTDisk files from your Active Directory and run them across the password cracker. Obviously, work with HR, work with your CISO team to do that because that's scary and there's a lot of issues that might come up with that. But find out if your users are using like six character passwords and if they're spring, right? Or if they're fall or fall 2018 bang. These are things that your environment should know about so you can be able to better prepare your leadership to resolve. Patch cycles are tough. We've, we've talked about this so consistently. Wasus is a nightmare to manage, but Windows 10 does a really nice job of keeping itself updated, patched, rebooted, and cycled, right? So does Office 365. You don't even have to run 0365 in the cloud these days to continually maintain updates in your Office products, right? So even moving toward the latest and greatest offerings from Windows is better than nothing. It's something. So 
GPO deployments are easy, right? Disable landman storage of your passwords. I don't know how to cleanse those all out. This might be a nice follow-up, those old garbage hashes that land in there. Password policies. This is how we win significantly every single test. If if we have a weak password policy we're up against, we generally win. It's just the reality. And so do the people who are attempting to break into your network, gather credentials and get in. John's up. Also, that password policy, if you guys, I would like to get your opinion on it, but it seems like that's one of the things that our customers fight us the most on. Whenever we say you need to go from an eight character password to something like a 15 or 17 character password, they tend to, at the beginning of the test, say, well, I don't know if that's going to be socially acceptable. I don't know if we can do that. And by the end of the test, usually they start to understand just how dangerous that actually is. Absolutely. And the conversation I had with a, one of our customers at Hackenfest was this very thing. He goes through the, okay, hey, we've got to upgrade our password policy. Look what they did to us again. They've gotten through, they've gathered credentials, they've broken into all the stuff. What if I told you, you could have 15 characters with no complexity and you could keep it for a year? I mean, it seems to you and I and John who use exceptionally long passwords, we have learned how to phrase well. It's hard for corporate environments to accept this politically. So adding here, this is our last slide, so we're going to open it up to questions. I see a kind of a theme in some of the most recent questions kind of talking about patching and how it relates to, it looks like, breaches and public breaches. Someone mentioned that getting pwned is socially acceptable, and that's an interesting perspective, or socially unacceptable. Uh, it's an interesting perspective because if you look at, like, I guess even look at, was Experian, was that it? Um, big data breach. Equifax, thank sure. you. Um, if you look at stock prices, you kind of have to start to question whether or not it wasn't socially acceptable because what was the actual fallout of it? You know, there were some employment changes from it, but in the end, the big cost came to the users. It didn't come to the organization that was managing it. And, you know, I think maybe the same thing might have happened at Target where the big problem all fell on the user side or maybe the bank side, but ultimately the actual investors weren't the one taking the hit. And it's an interesting perspective on that. You know, I think at some point the the landscape might change there, where we'll actually start to see that breaches might have a bigger impact for an environment. Um, certainly, in some organizations, if you have a breach, it will it's done. You're done. You're you're out of business. But there are some organizations that they're able to mitigate that using social skills. So, and they're uh, I guess their community involvement. Yeah, it's the same test I was just talking about. Somebody asked a really interesting question about PCI. The PCI framework is still saying that seven or eight characters is acceptable, which I totally and completely disagree with. And so so should every single member of the security community on the PCI council. It's, it's ridiculous to me that we still accept this as an acceptable way to protect cardholder data. It is not. Some compromise, I think, is the one there, right? If you live by assuming compromise, <laughs> John, if you assume, if you live assuming compromise, you take things into consideration, like your credit is always locked into a ready to open account. It just is. You look at things like password management differently because yeah, you might have a 128 character password, but now you're, you're storing that password with someone that might be storing it plain text. So they have to be different across all of your different websites. And that's really important to know. You just have to be able to manage that and be able to accept the risk that you might be compromised already. Why not use password phrases, Kent? Staple horse, what is it? Correct horse battery staple, yes. <laughs> this is something we preach. It's in our finding. If you've ever had a pen test from BHIS, when we get a weak password policy finding on your network, we say the same thing every time. Learn to use phrases on your network and allow them in Active Directory. It does make something interesting to add here. I have a blog post coming out probably in the next couple of weeks where I'm taking some pretty well-known books 
and I am running them through our password cracker against LinkedIn. And the idea here is to see there's a lot of passwords in LinkedIn that haven't been cracked yet. They're just ridiculously long passwords, right? And I'm curious to see how many of them are based off phrases of these very well-known books. I'm afraid that John might know what those books are. So let's just say it's going to be a religiously fun day. <laughs> I told you you were going to get fired for that one. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no. Thank you all for joining us today. As always, we appreciate your time very much. Thanks for listening to the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. Remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave a positive review on whatever app you're listening on. By the way, the backdrop looks amazing. We should do all of our webcasts in Jordan's basement from here on out. Oh, <laughs> burned! Oh, yeah. I thought this was the BHIS Fallout bunker. <laughs>